Welcome to Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. DenverSports.com. And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Thursday night in the Mile High City. James Merrillat, Will Peterson rolling with you for the next hour. A nice, clean, efficient two-hour and 18-minute opening day. one nothing Rockies win down at Coors Field the 12th time in the history of the club. We have had that score, James. The new world of baseball. You like it? You love it? Or you miss the old old four-hour games? <laughs> no, it's certainly not the latter. I, I, I think I love it. I, I'm going to go with like for now, but I think I do love it. Uh, I, I like a game that is played in two and a half hours or less. I like the pace. I like the fact that they don't have the shift. Um, you know, do I want to see a bunch of one nothing games? No, no. I mean, it was fine today. I'd like to see a little bit more offense, but overall, I like the uh, I like the product that uh, that it's producing. I like the fact that the game is consumed in a reasonable amount of time. Um, so I'm 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 thumbs up. I'm in. I'll officially say I like it, but I think I'm going to eventually love it. I'm with you, man. It was just so refreshing to watch a well-played game. Obviously, one nothing's going to be well-played, but it just didn't feel like it was that typical opening day slog. I mean, James, there's been opening days where you and I'd be talking right now, and they'd still be playing, oh, yeah. you know? And this game's been over for almost an hour and a half at this point. It's yeah. it's a nice change of pace. By 4.30, it was over. Um, and, and so, yeah, no, I, I think it's great. I think overall it's great for the, the game. Uh, about the only thing it hurts is uh, is beer sales and hot dog sales and all the rest of it. Um, as Bud Black said after the game, hey, you may need to start heading to the ballpark a little earlier because if you're a little late, you're going to miss more than you used to miss. But, I, I, you know, I think a lot of people thought, Will, that the, that the pitch clock would primarily impact pitchers. I actually think it's impacting hitters more than it's impacting pitchers. That they got to get in there. They don't have time to think about, okay, what's he going to throw on a one-two count? And, you know, like you, you just have to process information quicker. I think it's yeah, – and maybe it's not impacting him more, but I think it's been equally impactful. And, you know, it's part of the reason why we've seen Kyle Freeland. He's had two starts. He's pitched really well. He's yet to give up a run this season. Better than the World Baseball Classic when there was no pitch clock, right? Yeah, and like he, was, he, was, he was fine. In he that. was fine. He wasn't Daniel Bard in it, but he did give up the home run that ultimately the U.S. lost three two because of the home run off Freeland's bat. So yeah, and he hadn't given up runs. And today, James, he gets the start and goes more than six innings. The Thomas Jefferson product and the close comes from Pierce Johnson, a Faith Christian graduate, class of two thousand nine, and. It's the Colorado bookend, if you will. The starter in Freeland, the closer in Johnson, pretty fitting for an opening day. Yeah, for sure. That was definitely a cool aspect to it. I mean, anytime Kyle Freeland can start the the, the home opener, it, it's going to be just a little bit more special. And then, yeah, Pierce Johnson for the bookend, that was awesome. Uh, Chris Bryant, who's hitting over 340. Again, I know it's early, but he's hitting over 340. Drives in the only run. I believe it was Tovar that he drove in. Um, so, you know, the kind of the young star, the guy that people think, hey, maybe a rookie of the year candidate. So the people that you wanted to see perform and perform well today, even in a one nothing game, they all did. So it was a uh, it, it was a resounding success 
in Lodo today. All right, so I'll give you a little vibe check down in Coors Field because I was down there today. Okay. I rolled in. Uh, I did coffee break with you guys. Got off at that at about 11.05. You'll like this. So I had to go get my credential at 20th and Blake at the media will call, right? Yeah. Well, good luck with that when there's no parking, right? <laughs> well, the street is closed on opening well, day. Well, yeah. So, but, I mean, markets essentially closed. You know, all those bars have. Yeah, what a nightmare. Yeah, so I I kind of threw the hazard lights on, James. And uh, <laughs> Is this similar to Will Peterson's trip to DIA when he just drove in the uh, on the shoulder? Uh, just making up your own rules? It was technically a parking spot on 99% of the days, just not today, right? <laughs> so I uh, I threw the hazard lights on. I sprinted to the will call, sprinted back. And, man, James, in those 90 seconds, I had visions that my car was already going to be on a tow truck. I, You know what, Will? And, and I've, I've come around on this because at the time, and this was years ago. Well, re- thought, reset the story for folks real quick. Well, I believe you were heading to Phoenix for the for a playoff game against the Diamondbacks, right? Uh, no, that was a different trip. I was headed to Milwaukee for just like a bachelor party or something. Oh, okay. Trip, and you yeah. were running late, which is problem number one. That was my biggest issue. You were running late. And I'm a big proponent of, hey, I get to the airport plenty early. I'll just hang out at... Uh, you, you get know. to the airport at a ridiculous hour. <laughs> you're like, you're like, oh, my flight's at noon? Okay, I'll be there for breakfast at 7.30. Yeah, Root Down's open. <laughs> you know, they're, they're serving, so I'll, I'll hang out. I would rather not deal with the stress. You are not wired that way, so you're running late, which is your fault. And then there's traffic on Pena Boulevard, so you just decide, hey, I am more important than all the rest of these people here who are going to sit in traffic. I'm going to drive in the shoulder and get to my flight on, uh, uh, on time here because I uh, didn't plan accordingly. I mean, did I reset that properly? Uh, not not really. So I was going to Milwaukee, not Phoenix. <laughs> I drove on the shoulder on 225, not Pena. Okay, well, it's okay. It's, it doesn't change the story. But and okay. I left in plenty of time. It wasn't my fault. There was like three accidents on the same day. So I just said, I got a flight to catch and, you know, took a little detour, <laughs> got there on time. All right. Well, the fact that it was on 225 actually does change it because if you are on Pena Boulevard, everybody's in the same boat. You're all trying to get to the You're airport. You're all trying to go to the airport. So that changes a little bit. And look, I have come around on this, and this is probably not my best piece of fatherly advice, but I've kind of come to the approach with my kids, and our rule around the house is typically rules are for suckers, right? Wow, like, I like it. They are, right? Like rules are kind of made to, you know, kind of shuffle people along and for the lowest common denominator. And, like, come on. Most of them are silly. So I do think you're, hey, I'm going to throw on the hazards here, and I'm out of the car for 90 seconds. Perfect example of rules are for suckers. You didn't need to follow that rule today. You didn't park there for the whole game with your hazards on. It was 90 seconds. That was better than driving all the way down to lot B, walking 20 minutes, getting your pa- a pass, and all the rest of that. So I- I'm on board with this uh, this skirting of the rules by you today. All right, so I got that no issue, and then I, uh, I scooted over to the lot. I got my steps in because, like, those parking lots, James, they go up to, like, 27th, 28th, oh 29th. They go forever. Yeah. Do the yeah, Rockies almost, own those? It's, a, it's almost worth the pedicab. Does uh does Dick Monfort own those lots? I believe so. Yeah, those oh, are owned man, by he is raking it in on those. So I got my steps in, got there in time for like the last ten minutes of Rockies BP. They were just hitting bombs out of the stadium. The Nationals come and take BP. They're hitting bombs, and I'm like, man, this game's gonna go over. <laughs> you know, like the over under was eleven. Yeah, one nothing. So got that <laughs> got that one wrong. Um, and then uh, you know we went back down there. They had. Different first pitches going on. 
the intros. Who do you think got the loudest intro when they introduced the starting lineup? Kyle Freeland. He was What's second. That? Really? Okay. Uh, now, to be fair, James, Kyle Freeland's in the bullpen. Yeah, so he's not running out So there. people can't see him. So I think that, that takes the juice level down a little bit. The loudest ovation was it because they introduced the entire roster on opening day, right? Yeah, but just starters, man. Okay, just, just, starters. just starters. Who do I think got the CJ Crone? No, he was fourth loudest. <laughs> Did you have a meter for this, or are we just kind of going off of uh, random? I, I know the top four in my head. You've gotten two, you've gotten two and four so far. Okay, uh, Chris Bryant was he third? He was third. Who was number one? Oh, oh Charlie Blackman. There you go. Yeah, Chuck, yeah. Chuck Nasty got the biggest ovation. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. Long, he's a he's one of the 10, 15 best players in franchise history. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's in that conversation. I mean, yeah. he's the only holdover from the 17-18 playoff teams, it feels like at least. I mean, no Trevor, no Nolan, no DJ, no David Dahl. Uh, and he, I'm not going to say this is going to be his last opening day, James, but that, that runway's getting shorter for Charlie. So yeah. it was nice of the crowd to to fire him up with the designated hitter. That could extend his career a couple years, and he was the DH today. So that was cool. Um, and then, the, honestly, the best part, they timed the flyover. So perfectly, right at the end of the anthem, and uh, planes just come cruising over cores. Anthem ends, fireworks go off, and it was like, all right, this gets me going. This is opening day. This this is what it feels like. I, I need to go eat a hot dog right now because I am in baseball mode. Yeah, that uh, that flyover. They kind of get into formation about over my house. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I had a couple people tweet me like. I saw them in, you know, Arvada or Wheat Ridge or whatever. Yeah, they come from this side of town, so it, able to see it, and then they head toward Lowry. I'm imagining they're based in Lowry. Um, so yeah, that that was cool. I saw. Was it your tweet with the with the perfect flyover? Was that your your video? Yeah, and then yeah. Uh, uh, I, you know, not to, a little humble brag, I go up to the press box and Channel Seven taps me on the shoulder and they go, hey. And a couple of people say your flyover video was the best. Can we use it on Channel Seven? And I said, just credit me, and it's all yours. So was this yeah. uh, was this Troy? Was it Lionel? Who was hitting you up? Uh, it was Jeff. Uh, Jeff, one of their photographers. Okay, there, so. all right, well, yeah. good for you. So if we tune into Channel Seven tonight, we'll see a little Will Peterson uh, photog action. I guess so, man. So That's fancy, I like it. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say on this, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the game. Bounce over some nuggets because there's some some news there about the game tonight. Do you want to get into my hot take from Coffee Break? Uh, no. <laughs> nah, we can. We can. No, but, no, we're going to save that for Monday because that is my Monday column at Denver Sports. Right, well, people, a, that's a really early tease. People can go watch Coffee Break On Demand at denversports.com if they want to see me rip my hair out. But uh, <laughs> you know who I just felt like was kind of stalking me today, James? He was sort of just on my case. Every every corner I turned, he was right uh-huh. there. Okay, hang on a second. Um, not somebody from Denver Sports. No, no, no. So it no. wasn't like Shapiro just wouldn't leave you alone. No, he was fine. Uh, you know, not, not someone from the Denver media either. Really? No, it was just this. Was it a media member? Okay, I, I give you a hint, but it'll be too easy. So I'll just tell you. Your guy Dinger was just oh every gosh. corner I turned, James. There was Dinger. That's awesome. Dinger's That's awesome. here. He's Dinger's there. Opening day. Dinger. I think Dinger thought Dinger was the story before the first pitch. Yep. Well, Dinger is out there to help entertain the younger portion of the crowd, and pardon the pun, but he hits it out of the park all the time. He's fantastic. Go out into center field 
when there's the dinger, I don't know, he signs autographs like in the third inning or whatever. And there is a line of kids waiting to meet Dinger. Like, that's Dinger's target audience. It's not you, Will. Well, then why wouldn't he leave me alone today? So, Well, uh, I, what does that mean? Like, he just is everywhere? Like, he's, uh, uh, you know, omnipresent? That's just him doing his job. I just felt like I was down there for, like, a total of an hour and 30 minutes on the field, and I saw Dinger 19 times. So it just sort of felt that way. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, because you always take too many photos and videos at a, uh, yeah. an event, right? Yeah. So I took like 40, whatever, today. And then, you know, I go home and I'm deleting the ones I don't need. And I decided to save the video of the flyover, two cool photos of the field, a picture of the press room, and then three pictures of Dinger. Because I was trying to capture <laughs> Dinger at every angle. Well, there you go. You saved three pictures of him. Like, you're making my point. He He did a great job today. He was all over it. Uh, almost always he does a great job. Are they still not letting him behind home plate late in the game in the ninth inning? Oh, to, like, spin his head like yeah, an idiot? that is fantastic. No, it's Bush League, James. It's distracting. and Exactly. I think it's something the Rockies banned because they realized how ridiculous it looked. Oh, I think, it, I think it's fantastic. I think that's one of those things of, like, it becomes a signature part of playing a game in Coors Field is, hey, if you get to the ninth, you got to deal with the – Dinosaur mascot behind home plate spinning his head and getting everybody fired up. I think it's great. Here's it's great. There weren't people in San Diego back in the 70s and 80s complaining about the chicken because the chicken was just having too much fun out in the outfield. Like, man, we're uptight. Uh, D-Mac, or, uh, D-Mac, Dinger is uh, he's a treasure. It's a strong word. Here's Bud Black on uh, the late arriving crowd today. I think it was about two-thirds full when uh, the first pitch got delivered. You know, the pitch clock, you're going to see games like today where well-pitched, uh, few, very few walks, and it's going to move. And if you're, you know, if you're out on Blake Street, you're on Wazee, you know, having one more, it, it, it might, you might, you're going to miss a couple innings. You, you really are. <laughs> That's Bud Black telling folks, I didn't like that opening day. Coors Field was uh, two-thirds full. Put the beer down at whatever local establishment you're at. Get your butts in the seat. James, it was full. It was a sellout, but it wasn't full until the fifth or sixth inning today. Yeah, but Bud's been here long enough to know that's how it always is. No, but, we, we, but, but James, two hours, 18 minutes. I think Bud's making the point when you used to do that, you got here in the second inning. Yeah. Now you're getting here in the fifth inning. Everybody's getting used to it, and it used to be when you were going to a three-hour and 45-minute game, if you were an hour late, you were pacing yourself. Now, if you're an hour late, you've missed half the game. So people got to get used to that. I don't think he meant it as a criticism, but I do think it's interesting. Like, obviously, the pitch clock is going to increase the pace of play. Mm-hmm. But he also said it's going to be less walks. And that begs the question, why? Why is it? Why does the pitch because, clock? Because you, you nailed it, James. The batters are not as comfortable. Because you yeah. know what the batters like to do? They like to play with their batting gloves. They like to chew their gum. They like to step out of the box. They yeah. like to spit. They can't do any of that crap anymore. And that gets the pitcher off the rhythm. Like, the, the pitcher moving quickly actually helps the pitcher. They stay in a, you know, kind of have a pace and have a rhythm going. And, hey, if I just threw the, a, a pitch that I painted the, the, the corner, I want to throw another one right now. I'm, I'm in a groove, right? And the, the, the hitter wants to break you out of that groove, and they're going to get out there and adjust, like you say, their gloves, and they're going to kick the mud off their cleats and do all that nonsense. So, I do think we're ultimately going to see this as a, a positive impact on pitching, negative impact on hitting. Everybody will adjust at some point to it, but that seems to be the uh, the early returns, and that's what Bud Black is talking about there because there's no logical reason 
there's no reason on the surface, I should say, that it would it would lead to more walks. But he said it. He kind of let the cat out of the bag there. By the way, a few textures chiming in on the RamosLaw.com text line, 303-713-1043, that uh, Buckley is the Air Force base you're looking for, James. Oh, you're right. Lowry's, Lowry's closed. Low- it's Buckley. Lowry's a beer garden these Gee, days. Gee, Christmas. So. That's, shame on me. Thank you to the texters. As a longtime Denverite, I should have known the difference. So 100% correct. All right. So let's bounce over to the Nuggets here while we've got uh, several more minutes in this segment. And... James, you wrote about this at denversports.com. I was kind of in Rockies mode, but I did see the news that they've ruled out Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray already. All the other starters are also questionable. Your take on this, coming off a game against Houston that was perhaps their worst of the year, two schools of thought. Get them back out there, roll the ball out there, and let's go show we still still know how to play Nuggets basketball. Or... We can't afford an injury, get everyone off their feet, and it'll be Christian Brown and Peyton Watson playing 35 minutes tonight in Phoenix. I am in favor of uh, of B, and, and here's how I typically evaluate these kind of situations is of, uh, of the two worst-case scenarios, which one could I deal with better, right? And maybe that's just the way I'm wired. Maybe it's just sort of my outlook on life. But the two worst-case scenarios are you don't play – any of the starters, essentially, in the last three games. I would maybe play them a little bit in the finale on Sunday afternoon against the Kings that's at home, but whatever. Don't play any of them in the three games. And then they sit out a week during the play-in tournament, and by the time the playoffs start on April 15th, they're rusty. Okay, that would not be good. No. So that's one bad scenario. The other bad scenario is you play important pieces of your team in meaningless games down the stretch, and somebody gets hurt. You get 79, 80, 81 games through the gauntlet of the regular season. And you get to the point where as the number one seed, you've been gunning for this the whole time. You essentially waved the white flag on last season in the playoffs by not bringing back Jamal and said, it's all about next year. You're almost to the finish line. That to me is worse. An injury is worse. And I'm normally not load management guy. I'm normally not bubble wrap guy. I'm normally not any of those things. But they're six games behind the Bucks, three games behind the Celtics. They're tied with the Sixers. So I guess there's something to play for of the off chance that you get to the finals and you play Philadelphia. Yeah, you'd like to have home court advantage, but they long since told us and showed us that they didn't care about the how they were stacking up against teams in the East. I mean, they would not have done some of the load management they've done in the last two or three weeks if that was important. So given where they're at and they're, set at the number one seed, and they essentially have nothing to play for in terms of uh, seeding for the NBA Finals, save for one team and one matchup, I would sit everybody down, Will, because the risk is just not, it's not worth what you may get as a reward of knocking off some rust, because can you imagine if Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, KCP, I'll even throw him in there get injured in one of these meaningless games and they can't go in the playoffs and this team gets bounced, that would be a catastrophe. It would, but two things here. First of all, why rule Jokic and Murray out and leave the other guys questionable? I know they're your two best players, but if you're not going to play starters, just don't play starters. Right? Well, they've been, they've been dealing with injuries, right? I mean, Jokic missed three True, games with the cap. but like Aaron Gordon hasn't been the same dude since the All-Star break. Just rule him out. Michael Porter Jr., three back surgeries by age, what is he, 26? Rule him out. Like, I, I wouldn't play them. I'm with you, but they're they're technically not injured at this point. 
Okay. They so, haven't missed time in the last week with injury. So they're just going to have to rule him out here in the next 90 minutes before tip or so. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I, I don't want to see the hodgepodge tonight, James. I either want him to play everyone or play no one. I'm with and you. And by removing Jokic and Murray, then you should remove everyone else, and it should be the rookie show, and I know Zeke's questionable, but, you know, Trot, Reggie Jackson, and Thomas Bryant out there tonight. Yeah, Thomas Bryant can play 42 minutes tonight. That's all good. I, I, I'm 100% with you. I, I, I'm not disagreeing. And I think a hodgepodge is actually more dangerous, and I'll put that word in quotes, because, again, we're talking about basketball. They can go out and play basketball all the time, and 99.9% of the time they're not going to get hurt. But I think playing a hodgepodge is more dangerous than playing with guys you're used to playing with, right? We've all gone and played in a pickup game or in a rec league or whatever, and when you're playing with guys you're used to playing with, the game flows a lot better, and you're not, you know, in and up in bad positions and, you know, getting run into and undercut and things like that. So I'm with you. If you're not going to play Jokic and Murray, don't play any of them. I would sit them all down, and I would consider maybe playing them the first half against Sacramento on Sunday just to basically get some get some work in. Um, but I would have more faith in myself as a coach and as a coaching staff that that week off I could put to good use from a practice standpoint and have them ready to go. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. I just the loss to Houston was so bad that is that the taste in your mouth you want the starters going into game one of a playoff game? Yeah. No, hold on. Yeah. Me, I'm gonna go see. So let me finish. <laughs> Because that will be the only game Nikola Jokic has played in a three-week span. I don't care. Where he had eight turnovers. So I don't care. I, I would subscribe more to the let them wash it out of their mouth. Now, maybe that's not tonight. But, James, they need to play full starters either Saturday or Sunday in one of the two games remaining after no. tonight. Yes, no, they because, do, because they need to get their mojo back before. No. no, hold on. Because if they lose game one at home, you have said all along this team is – in trouble, I almost used a different word, if they lose home court advantage. So what if you gag a game one to the Lakers because you're rusty as heck? You, you want that coming up, James? You want you want to go back to L.A. tied 1-1? That doesn't no, sound fun to me. I don't. I don't. But I don't think playing 20 meaningless minutes against Sacramento a week before you're going to play the Lakers is going to avoid that. I Have don't. you ever done a cleanse? <laughs> sure. I just don't think it's going to avoid it. I think if you were playing important games all the way down to the stretch and, and were playing for something and they were, you know, pseudo-playoff games because you were really battling, that would help. I don't think playing 20 meaningless minutes against Kings is going to help. As a coach, I would rather have, instead of that, and give them a false sense of, oh, we're fine, we can flip a switch, I would rather have the card to play of, hey, guys, we got to be ready to go. We got to be at our best. We got to be focused from the initial tip, and we got to play every possession like it's the the last possession of the game. Because if you guys don't, you remember the last time we were on the court, we got our butts kicked by Houston. I would rather have that to be my example than to play twenty meaningless minutes against Sacramento. All right, Nathaniel Hackett didn't play his starters in the preseason; they were rusty. How'd that work out for the Broncos? Right? They're like, also playing an entirely new system. These teams, these guys have played an entire season together. But there are there are examples of rust being a real thing in sports, and I don't I don't think you want Game One to look rusty. So when they're down twenty seven nineteen after the first quarter of Game One at home, I'll be the guy texting you, "Hey, they look kind of rusty to me." Okay, well, and if they play against Sacramento and Jamal Murray aggravates his thumb and he can't play in game one, I'll be the one texting you. Like, there's a there's a risk-reward here. There, there's no perfect answer, 
right? Like, I'm not saying you're... I would agree with you on that. There is, there's no perfect way, because you're right. You can't afford a catastrophic injury when right. you, you've been building for this moment for literally years. I'm um, not yes. saying your approach is wrong. It's not. And I do think rust is a risk. It is. And do I think there's that chance that they come out after having not played for, geez, what would end up being a, potentially 11 days? Yeah, you, you could be texting me 27 to 19. But 27 to 19 after one and you knock the rust off is an easier hole to dig out of than, hey, we're without Jamal until May 1st if we're still alive by then. That That's my perspective on it. I don't think there's any... There's, I don't think there's any perfect answer, so it's more of which risks do you want to take. All right, coming up next, the Rockies are done. The Nuggets game will be meaningless tonight, but the Avalanche game, now that will be huge. There's good news on the injury front. There's also bad news. We will get to some Broncos later in the show. My guy Cecil Lammy a couple days ago had a great article about the running back prospects. He likes big backs, and he cannot lie. Those are brought to you by Shomp <laughs> Honda. One price, one person, one hour, if you want to check them out at denversports.com. But James? He and Mace have a really good uh, back and forth going on all these draft previews with Cecil's kind of, uh, you know, best guys available and who's the best guys in the class. And then Mace coming in to follow it up with, yeah, but here's who's available for the Broncos. It's a good it's a good one-two punch. Check it out. Right, right, yeah. Like, oh, we don't have a pick till the third round. So <laughs> really glad you like B. John Robinson out of Texas, but he's not yeah. going to be there. He's, a no, he's not an option. Uh, all right, so the Avs tonight are clearly – you know, the Rockies was a very significant game today because it's opening day. That's always going to be a big one. But, man, they could not be on more opposite ends of the spectrum, the Avs and the Nuggets, in terms of what game matters tonight. Avs tied atop the Central with the Wild and the Stars. I told D-Mac and Derek, for as much as they're good on the road, James, they need to win the Central because you would be crazy to turn down two rounds of home ice advantage. Like, then you're just playing with fire. Of like, oh, we're really good on the road. It doesn't matter. It's like... No, I, I don't really care what the records say. If you have a chance to get the first two rounds at home, including playing a wild card team in the first round, go out there and seize it. Go win the Central Division. No, I'm 100% with you. I, I think, and look, it's a team that lost one playoff game last year on the road, and it was game three. something in three. four in Tampa. Game three, because four game was Cadre's awesome right. OT winner. So they lost one road game, and it was in the Stanley Cup Finals. So, I mean, it, it, that's how good they were. Uh, away from Ball Arena, but to just act like home home ice advantage doesn't matter, I think would be kind of the height of arrogance, right? Like, you want to start off the series at home, get off to a good start. If you happen to stumble, you at least put yourself in the position where, hey, we just got to get one on the road, and then we know in our back pocket game sevens at home. So to not act like that's important, as good as they've been on uh, on the road, I, I think would be a, a mistake. So I'm right there with you. I think winning the Central is important. Uh, and listen, man, with the winning the Central, you get a play of the Seattle Kraken almost assuredly. The standings can still change. That means you and I are going to Seattle. Yeah, but you get to play fun. the Seattle Kraken in round one. You get to play Philip Grubauer, the guy who choked away the <laughs> Vegas series, you know, when they were up 2-0 and he played uh, so great in game two and then just couldn't stop anything in those final four games. Nobody holds a grudge like Will Peterson. And they're in their second year of existence. They're not playoff ready. No. They're a bunch of guys that were slapped together. And you know what you also do, James? You make Minnesota and Dallas play each other. So then one of them has to knock each other out probably in an epic seven-game series. And then come round two, whoever emerges from that, 
Then you take your shot at either, either Dallas, who can skate up and down with you because they can score. I believe they scored more goals than the Avs. Or you take your shot at Minnesota, a gritty defensive team who could have Marc-Andre Fleury in goal. Okay, that's fine. That's what happens in the playoffs. you got to knock off the best teams to win the Cup. But this thought that, oh, they can let one of the other two win the division, well, then you're playing Dallas or Minnesota in the first round, which is going to be an infinitely harder series than Seattle. No doubt. And then if you emerge from that, you got to play Minnesota or Dallas in the second round. So yeah. let them take care of each other while you go play the Kraken in round one. And the way that happens, you win tonight, you keep winning the last five games of the year, you win the division. No, you're 100% right. You hit the nail on the head. Of I think the hardest path is having to beat both Minnesota and Dallas, the hardest path through the first two rounds. So let them let them eliminate one of each other, right? Like, that is definitely the way to go. It's not that Seattle's going to be a layup and a sure thing. And, you know, I started having visions of Jacksonville coming here uh, and beating the Broncos in 96. But still, James, give me the, that option. The Predators last year were a sure thing in the first round. Yeah. I mean, I, ad, I, I, feel, I feel like four. it would be that. I feel like it would be that. Now, you know what, though? <clears throat> game three and game four in Nashville – the, the Predator fans just didn't show up. They knew it was happening. You Seattle fans are going to show up for playoff games. It's, it's going to be the first time they've had them. True. So that that's going to be a different atmosphere when you and I are up at Climate Pledge Arena. Um, Who's but, paying for this? <laughs> I think we just keep throwing it out there. At some point, somebody's going to step up. All right, I like it. Um, but I, I, I do think that that is a much simpler path, much simpler path. Minnesota is just sort of that nemesis, right? And Dallas, you talked about it, or you mentioned it in terms of how many goals they've scored, their goal differential. They're just that more high-powered team. They're a team that, you know, if, if it turns into like what we thought it would be against Edmonton last year where it's, hey, we're having a bunch of eight, six games or whatever, Dallas is one of those teams that can kind of match you goal for goal. So, yeah, give me the Kraken and whichever team survives a Minnesota-Dallas first-round matchup, without a doubt. I think that's infinitely easier. So you want the good news or the bad news today from Jared Bednar? Uh, I like to end on a good note, so let's start with the bad news. The bad news, James, is that Kale McCarr has a new injury, will miss tonight again. These are not maintenance games. Like we thought Tuesday night was perhaps a maintenance game. Jared Bednar says not so fast. This isn't maintenance. This is Kale is hurt. Now, again, I'm not hitting the panic button. I'm not saying Kale's going to be out in the playoffs. None of that. But, James, it's new. And for a guy who suffered two concussions, we were glad to learn it was lower body. So it's not a head thing. It's not a concussion thing. But Kale is amazing. He's the Consumite, the Norris, Calder, all those things winners. This has been the toughest year of his career in terms of just being available every night. This is now stint number three where he's missed games. So to hear Bednar say it's new and I don't have a timetable this morning, that was a little bit concerning. No, for sure. I mean, he's a great player. He's the second or third best player on the team. I think they can find a way to short-term win without him more so than they could without Nathan McKinnon. I think that would be a much bigger loss. Um, but, look, it's not good. I'm not going to act like it doesn't matter. I, I think at this point, though, a little bit kind of with our Nuggets conversation, as much as I want to win the Central and as, as much as I'm in agreement with you in terms of how that would be important and that would that would make the path a lot easier – I'm not going to risk Kale McCarr not being ready to go for the playoffs in order to try and accomplish that. Yeah, no, I get that. But if it was if it was maintenance, it'd be like, okay, it's maintenance, whatever. But for Bednar to say it's a new injury, that's where it's like your your logic is, oh, just make sure he's right for the playoffs. I'm I'm with you, James. But it's it's not just making sure he's right for the playoffs. It's overcoming a new injury while also making sure he's right for the playoffs. There's two just, layers to this. They give us such cryptic information on 
hockey injuries will that I, I just don't I don't know what I buy and what I don't buy, right? Like, yeah, it could be something new and something serious, and heck, he may not be ready to go for game one of their first round series. It could be, or it could just be. Listen, he's got a little bit of a thing. If it was a playoff game, he'd play, but let's just call it an injury and not say that it's maintenance. I mean, it's hockey. It could be either one of those extremes. So I'm not going to panic and think that the needle is to the bad extreme. I, you know, being the consummate, you know, optimist that I am, oh, I'm yeah. going to th- say that it's pointing toward that. Listen, he's just not 100%. Let's not risk it. Okay. The good news today, James, was that. That's pa- what I want to hear. Pavel Francouz is very close, Jared Bednar said. Probably the tone, the vibe I got today is that Pavel Francouz is going to play a game or two for the Avs before the regular season ends. Frankie's been out for months, and Georgiev's had to stand on his head because they haven't had a true backup goalie. Yeah, in a perfect world, Georgiev plays all 20, 25 playoff games, whatever, but fluky things happen. Darcy, Darcy Kemper gets poked in the eye by a stick, and misses five, six games, and Frankie has to play like an entire series against Edmonton last year. So I did think it was good news today that we're knocking on all the wood about Georgie, that Frankie will be back, and it does feel like if they have to throw him out there in the playoffs for whatever reason, they're not throwing a Colorado Eagles goalie out there. They're throwing our guy Frankie out there, who no joke, no joke, got some of the loudest cheers at the parade last summer. No, you're right. And look, there is the the point of it of, hey, we're talking about a guy that if all things go well, will never s- step on the ice in the playoffs. But that's that's what we're talking about. But we saw last year that probably isn't going to happen, so you're right about that. And I do think the other part of this is, hey, down the stretch here where you're trying to win the division, you also don't want to just burn out your goaltender. True. And if you can get him a little bit of a break without it be a, being a, hey, we're waving the white flag tonight, I think that's beneficial, and, you know, it's, hey, everybody I think in that in that room believes in Frankie based on what he did a year ago, but it's also we have to get him some, some live action, so you're going to put him out there, but it doesn't just mean, all right, well, this is, this is a game where, geez, we'll be lucky if we get a point, let alone trying to get two points out of it. I, I think that's the other thing is you want to make sure you go into the, into the postseason without uh, Georgia being just absolutely frazzled and fried. I think it'll help down the stretch in these last few games with that. All right, coming up next, I've got a new theory about Ooh. this John Elway news Ooh. that dropped a little bit tinfoil, <laughs> little bit, James, but it also involves our guy, Peyton Manning. Denver Sports Tonight. All right, James, I got a new theory on this uh, John Elway departure from the Broncos earlier this week. Okay, and it's uh, John Elway leaving. It's, uh, was he forced out? There's just no spot. You know, Sean Payton and George Payton there now. There's, like, really no need for another voice. That's kind of been the general thoughts. You have another one, though. Yeah, and I'll add a fourth one to that, and this is the one I lean, and that was that the Elway thing just kind of ran its course, right? He was a Bolin guy, a Joe Ellis guy to some extent. Um, it's just a totally new era over there, right? So just 
it kind of fizzled out, and it wasn't anyone's fault. It's like a relationship where two people just decide, you know what, this was fun, and we had a great time, but this just isn't really working anymore. We're going to go our separate ways. Like, it's it's amicable, and it's mutual, but there's just no spark left, right? So I think that's the most logical. But now I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on, okay? Okay. All right. I think. Also, don't buy the whole no spark one, but I'll let you go. Okay. Well, you can retort that real quick if you want. <laughs> you, you don't I think just, that the, the John Elway and the Broncos thing just kind of ran its course? I, I think that's what they thought. I don't know that just because you get to that point that that means the best decision is, hey, we should run out the most important person in the history of the franchise. Like, yeah, it, it had hit a lull. Uh, you know, it's, it's not going to all be fireworks and honeymoon. And, you know, I think there's a little bit of that of like, all right, we got to work our way through it. So I'm, I'm probably getting overly philosophical on your analogy. But it's just like, come on, man. It's, it's, he's, the, he's the greatest player in the history of the franchise. He's arguably, arguably the greatest executive in the history of the franchise. They've only made the playoffs five consecutive years one time. And it was John Elway's first five years as the GM. They've only won the AFC West five times in a row. One time, and it was John Elway's first five years as the GM. So I just think that Elway bashing has gotten off the rails. And if you can't find a place for that guy in your organization, I think that's a look in the mirror moment. But anyhow, let's hear your theory. All right, all right. He's also 62 years old. So, you know. Well, so? Well, John himself said he wanted to have more time and flexibility. John took the high road. And John said exactly what he he should have said at that point because there's no reason to burn bridges. All right. I'll get to my theory because we are running out of time. I wonder, James, that we know that Peyton Manning and John Elway are friendly enough, but they're not like best man in each other's weddings kind of thing. Friendly rivals. Friendly rivals. I think, James, that Greg Penner feels like he has a pretty good shot at getting Peyton Manning involved in one capacity or another, whether that's still ownership, because we know they hand out ownership stakes like candy. There's like six of them. Or some sort of president of football operations role. And I think the one sticking point was that John Elway was still officially on payroll and a member of the Denver Broncos. And this just totally clears the the path for Peyton Manning to assume a massive, massive title with the Denver Broncos. I think there's actually probably a, a lot of validity to what Whoa, you're Whoa, look at that. No tinfoil hat. No, no, no. I, I think that's probably true. Do I? And, and it reminds me of... When Dan Reeves got fired, Pat Bowen wanted to hire Mike Shanahan. But there had been some issues. Like, Mike Shanahan got fired by Dan Reeves for insubordination because he and John Elway were game planning behind Dan Reeves' back And when, when, when Mike was the offensive coordinator. And Mike didn't want it to look like, you know, he kind of got Dan Reeves fired. And so then he went to San Francisco for a couple of years. Wade Phillips took that job. Like, it was just sort of a bad look. And I think it's similar here where I think Peyton Manning wants to be involved. I, I think Peyton Manning at this point in the two legends' lives would be a better fit. He would. And I think that makes all the sense in the world. But do I think Peyton Manning wants to come in and have 1%, 10%, 50%, whatever percent of Broncos country look at it of he pushed John Elway out? No. Absolutely not. I mean, he's he's a very politically savvy guy, and I don't mean that you know, right, left, blue, red. I mean, that just, like, can read the room. And that's how it would come across to at least a certain percentage of people. So, yeah, this this clears the decks for that. And if you're if you're either one of the guys, 
you also look at it and say, well, look, Sean Payton is running the show. We, we get it. Greg Penner's the owner. He's involved. You and I talked about it a couple weeks ago when he was down at owners' meetings, and he's the way he's talking and the way he's answering questions, like you can tell he's learned a lot in his less than a year on the job. Like he's slowly but surely kind of turning into a football guy. Um, he's not an absentee owner by any means. George Payton is still there. Like, it, it, it's hard enough to figure out, well, what's the next role for one more guy, let alone two more guys, like John and Peyton there, wouldn't make any sense. So, yeah, I think you're I think you're on to something. I think you've had a, a just a banner day of good ideas. Wow. Well, thank you. Yeah, that that's kind of what hit me. I was thinking about this uh, yesterday afternoon, actually, because Mace and Cecil had talked about it a little more in Orange and Blue today, and we've got three, four columns up about it at denversports.com, and I was like, there's got to be a reason for this, and it kind of kind of hit me with the sheriff. So that's what I'm thinking. All right, I, I, or unless you got one more thought. You well, got one more thought? I, I would say, and, and, you know, I had a little bit of a rant there about, you know, hey, you're running out the greatest player in the history of the franchise. If your long-term plan is, hey, I'm doing that because it's time to turn the page to the next guy that's going to have multiple chapters here, and that's Peyton Manning, okay, I'm fine with that. If you're running him out just because you think, hey, George has got it and Greg has got it, uh, I, I think that's a that's a different story. So let, let's see, let's see it all, how it all plays out before I get too uh, too upset. Yeah, we'll see how it shakes out. I wouldn't think anything with Manning is imminent, um, but it could just sort of be laying the groundwork that maybe something happens this summer right before training camp. We shall see. Uh, in the last fifteen minutes or so, our buddy Mike Singer from the Denver Post reporting that Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., Contavious Caldwell Pope. All out tonight versus Phoenix. They're doing what you and I suggested, James, and that is don't just not play two of them. Don't play all of them. All five Nuggets starters on the bench this evening. Which is the smart way to do it, right? Like, we could rank them in terms of, hey, who would be the biggest loss, but the the end result is any of the five would be a loss, right? Like, we, we all are clamoring to see. Jokic, Murray, Porter, and Aaron Gordon together in the playoffs. We ha- we've we never seen it. The last two seasons in, in the postseason, because Jamal got hurt basically two years ago right now, so that postseason after going 9-1 and one when that foursome was together, um, in the regular season, we didn't get to see him in the playoffs. Didn't get to see it last year with two of them not there. Like, that's what we want to see. But also a year ago, Michael Malone spent his end-of-the-season press conference talking about how, hey, we need better perimeter defenders – they brought in two guys to help with that, Bruce Brown and KCP. You can't afford to not have either one of those guys either. Like, I want there to be no excuses, mainly because I think this team can win a title if there are no excuses. But number two is, if they fall short, I don't want there to be any excuses because then you have to make the changes necessary to make sure you don't keep burning through years of Jokic's prime. So, great. This is smart. It's a way to go it. I would maybe play him a, a half against uh, the Kings just in a glorified scrimmage. But, no, it's time to uh, put on your fancy suit and sit behind the bench. You want some optimism on the way out the door from our guy Charles Barkley? Of course. I haven't heard this sound yet, but this is him tonight on TNT. KJ got it ready for us. How about the Nuggets? The Nuggets are getting to the conference finals. Guarantees. I was hoping something was falling out of the ceiling there, too. <laughs> Guarantee. Uh, hey, that's a good – Chuck doesn't miss on those guarantees, James. That's uh, that's good for me. Uh, you know what? I will take it, and it's going to be fascinating between now and Sunday to see how it all shakes out and what the standings are and who the options are. 
And then I was just talking about this with my my kids during one, uh, one of the breaks of like, hey, the fact that we get to play in games next weekend or next week, like that's going to be awesome. Like it's a, it was such a great thing that the NBA did, and it was sort of a, a thing that came out of COVID. I think it's awesome. It's going to be like a mini NCAA tournament next week to get the playoffs started. Can't wait. It's going to be fascinating because there are so many possibilities for who the eight seed will be. So we will be on it. See how it all shakes out for KJ for James I'm Will Denver Sports tonight on Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan